0: in prayer. We'll go ahead and get started. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and your kindness to us. We thank you, God, that um, you did not leave us to grope around in the dark to speculate about who you are, but you revealed yourself to us in your word. And we thank you, God, for that revelation. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning To think clearly about these things for your glory. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit so that we might hear from you. The last thing these people need is to hear from another man. So I pray, God, that they will hear from your word. Help me, God, to do all of these things by the aid of your Holy Spirit and for your glory. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so our topic this for the next six weeks will be unity and diversity in a local church, in the local church, in the local church. So if you don't have a handout, you please grab one. If you don't, if there's any more, let me know. We can get more copies if you need some. All right, so Brother Vern is going to Brother Vern is going to get handouts. Brother Vern is going to make copies. All right, so if you have a handout. We're gonna come back to that. All right. So let me just go ahead and explain what this entire thing is about, so that we don't have any misconceptions. So when you and I become Christians, we underwent a complete identity shift. You are now. We are all now new creations parts a part of God's family and united together in Jesus Christ. And so being a Christian is more, fun to, more fundamental to our identities than our families, than our nationalities, than our ethnicities, than our jobs, than our personalities or any other way that the world tries to classify Or categorize or identify people. Amen? So therefore, the unity that we share with every other Christian is more profound than any any other conceivable bond that we might have. And this means that wherever the gospel is present, diversity should exist in that place. So, and that's because the Lord promised to save all kinds of people people from every tribe from every tongue and from every nation and so diversity is a natural outgrowth of the gospel now straight away i need to put something to death when we say diversity we are not simply talking about ethnic diversity okay there should be diversity of age there should be diversity of gender there should be diversity of socioeconomic statuses when you, when the, because the gospel transcends all of that. So if you think, if you hear the word diversity and you only think people from, with different shades of melanin, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Do you understand? That is not the definition of diversity that I'm working from. Okay? So, consequently, diversity is probably more important than you realize and at the same time, less important than you realize. Okay? So on one hand, it's more important than we think because when people who have little self-interest at stake love one another sacrificially in the church, it is a giant advertisement to the world that something supernatural is happening in this place. Right? I was in the, with the Spanish group last week, and I said, I made a comment, me and Pastor Vladimir should not be friends. We do not run in the same social circles at all, and if it was not for the fact that Christ saved the both of us, I I would not know him. Amen? Amen? So, the, us being in Christ transcends all of that. Okay, so that's why, in that regard, it's important. But, on the other hand, diversity might be less important than, than you think, because if we view it as uh, into itself, and it's easy for us to do that. It's easy, and it's ch- many churches do this. Okay, they, they just make unity and diversity the target, right? And so they'll pat themselves on the back and say something like, yeah, I'm a member of a very diverse church, and that makes us awesome, right? And that's a prideful, man-centered view that makes diversity an end unto itself because that kind of diversity is just looking for worldly respectability. You want the world to look at you and say, oh, those people are great because they're quote-unquote diverse. But That's not the goal of diversity. Okay? Biblical diversity. So the kind of diversity that we must have, and the only truly compelling diversity, is diversity that highlights unity, around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? No amen's. I'll prove it. Maybe you'll be saying amen at the end. Okay. And so, diversity in a local church does not matter in and of itself. It only matter, it only matters when it reflects a deeper reality of gospel unity that is believed and lived out among diverse people. So that's the topic of this course seminar unity gospel unity and diversity and so that's what we'll be dealing with for the next six weeks. Does everybody have a handout? Yes okay. So today I have to start with a very simple question does God even care about unity and diversity in the local church? So the short answer is yes right but I have to prove that from the Bible right? So, so given the number of members that we have in this church, I'm certain that there are all sorts of reasons that people will give for thinking that unity and diversity is important or it's not important. It's not even a subject that we should be talking about. And so some people believe that this subject is important and their reasons for believing that this subject is important is very different than God's reasons. And that's when you get yourself in trouble. So first, what my plan, what I aim to do, is to start by tracing the theme of unity and diversity throughout the scriptures. And then I'll talk about some of the reasons why, or bad reasons why, people care about unity and diversity. And then finally, we'll try to nail down exactly why unity and diversity in the gospel matters to God and how it should matter to us. Amen. So, first we need to explore unity and diversity in the scriptures. So I want to ask this question, because I love questions. What reason does the Bible give for why unity and diversity is important in a local church? So, I have to be honest here, straight away, I felt some kind of, I don't know what the word is, consternation, about teaching this class because I'm the only black dude in the room, in the pastor's meeting. And I was like, I don't know if I'm the one that should be teaching this. right? Because I don't want to like, put forward some kind of idea because I don't want to try to press upon you some desire, personal desire that I have to teach this and force something upon you that's not biblical. Right? So I need to be honest about this. So I need to work really hard to prove this from the Bible. So I'm going to spend as much time as I need to to try to prove this point from the scriptures before we get into any kind of application, okay? That makes sense to you? So I need you to be patient with me. So I submit to you that the story of unity in the Bible begins with God. In Genesis 1 the Bible says that, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our own likeness, after our likeness. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect unity from eternity past did not make a single human being. They made, He made them male and female. He made two different people, two very diverse, distinct beings, right? We read this in Genesis chapter 2 where God made woman, to be a helper fit for the man, which means that she would correspond and complement the man, which means she was different from him and diverse from him and have very different attitudes and... Dispositions. I'm trying to be careful here. <laughs> and She's very diverse and different from man, right? And that's a glorious thing. Hold on. Hold your question. Okay? And yet in verse 24, the Bible says that they would become one flesh. So you see this, two diverse, distinct people coming together to be unified as one flesh. So man and women don't simply point us to God or reflect the image of God be, be, be based on how they represent Christ's love for the church in Ephesians 5 so what I mean is is like usually we'll say you know husbands and wives the relationship between husband and wife point to the relationship between Christ and the church that is true but that's not the only way men and woman reflect the glory of God or reflect the image of God they also reflect the image of God in how two distinct persons can be unified together in one flesh. That makes sense to you? So from the very beginning of humanity's existence, there's this unity, right? But it's among two very different people because the Lord God, in the Lord God, we see three... Distinct persons. That's diversity. And yet these three persons of the Godhead function in perfect harmony as one God, one in essence. And that's where you get unity. And this is the glory and image of God that men and women together reflect. That make sense to you? So furthermore, God calls Abraham... Later on in the story, you fast forward, God calls Abraham out of Ur and tells him that his plan will be to create an entire nation from Abraham's descendants. And then later, you see in Exodus 4.23, when God creates this nation, Israel, he calls them my son. And he tells Pharaoh, let my son go. That he may serve me right so why does god call israel my son one of the reasons i suspect is because sons reflect the image of their father so this is why in deuteronomy 4 god tells the people to obey him so that god will be great in the sight of the peoples around that's in deuteronomy chapter 4 verse verses 6 through 7 And the task, their task is to reflect the image of the triune God to the nations around. So this task to reflect the image of the triune God falls on this entire nation. It's his corporate representation of the image of God. But we know from biblical history that they didn't do a very good job of reflecting God's image, right? We know they didn't do a good job. And so when you get, fast forward to Ezekiel 36 and some of the other prophets, the Bible explains to us that the reason the Lord exiled them out of the land was because of this false representation. Their failure to be faithful to the covenant, it misrepresented his name. And instead of proclaiming his name and glorifying his name, they defamed his name. They did not reflect the image of God the way that he commanded them to corporately. And then as we fast forward into later into the New Testament, Jesus arrives on the scene. As the gospel of Matthew opens, the Bible says that Jesus comes out of Egypt. You see that in Matthew 2:15, out of Egypt I called my son the Bible says. And the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness like Israel. He's tempted and he's tried like Israel. And yet he perfectly trusts the word of his father. All right. He goes through the Jordan like Israel and he's baptized. And what does the father say about Jesus at his baptism? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So our Lord and Savior perfectly represents the image of the father so much so that the Spirit of God inspires the Apostle Paul to write in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 said he, the perfect representation of God. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ that fully and finally fulfills God's mandate to humanity at creation to bear his image. Amen? Amen. but Jesus is only one man. And so God's plan for humanity to bear the image of God continues on in the church. Through his death and his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus in Acts chapter one, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter two, he pours out the Holy Spirit on the church And inaugurates the church and his followers now have have a job and that is to reflect the image of God to the onlooking world that's one of our jobs as the church and how do we do this well one of the ways we do this is by loving one another the Bible says that by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Also in John 17, 21 says, Jesus asked him, um, Jesus asked him the question that um, he asked God, I'm sorry, in his high priestly prayer. And, he, and one of the things he asked for is that we would all be one, his followers would be one, so that the world may believe that you, God, sent me, Jesus, right? So you got this, one of the, one of the purposes of the, the church is to take this diverse group of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation and to show off the, and reflect the glory of God to the universe. That's one of the reasons we exist Amen. as a church, right? So now, so we saw this, the diversity of God's plan expands from two people in Genesis, Adam and Eve, to a nation in the Exodus. And then you fast forward, and then we see in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, it says that the commission that we have been given is to go ye therefore preach the gospel, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. But that commission that was given to us, we were supposed to go to all the nations. All the nations. Right? And as God said through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 49.6. It was Isaiah 49.6. It says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant. And raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Okay? So that's what we see. That's exactly what we see when we see Gentiles in the book of Acts, like Cornelius, are saved. And become part of the church at that time would have been full of nothing but Jewish, Jewish Christians in Acts 10. And then we see God's intention for a diverse group of people united around Jesus Christ. Laid out for us in the letter of Ephesians. Okay. He describes the gospel in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. And in verse, and in Ephesians 2:10, Ephesians 2:10, he says something. And he gives this implication of the gospel. I'm sorry, it's 2:11. In 2:11, let me read it. Ephesians 2:11. in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. Right? Amen. So the first implication of this is, is that these Gentiles, who were cut off from God, are now members of God's family. Just like the Jews. Just like Israel. Israel. And then in verse 13, which we read, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. So why is this kind of diversity such an important point? It's because the Jews and the Gentiles had been enemies for centuries, for centuries. Theologically, geographically, Politically, ethically, ethnically, and ethically, okay? Very little in common and completely at odds with one another, okay? But when Paul describes their unity in Ephesians, he reaches for the two most committed bonds that people know of, blood and family. Okay, blood and family. He calls the Jews and the Gentiles, in verse 15, he says, By abolishing the law of the commandments, expressing ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man. He calls them a new humanity. Right? And then in verse 19, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he says, listen, whatever distinctions that you had before in Christ, what you are is you're, in, you're of the same nation and in the same family now that, you in, now that you are in Christ. Okay? And the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ is the work of a God who is able to do more than we can think or imagine. So, if you think black folks and white folks in the United States had problems, you have, clearly, you have never read a history book. Okay? Because the, 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 the problems in the disunity that existed between the Jew and the Gentile can't carry a bucket to what went on in the United States with segregation and all of that. And so for Paul to say that these two groups of people are now one family, only the Holy Spirit can do that. Right? It would take an absolute work of God to make that happen. Okay? So... You see down here, and remember this, and in, in, I'm still in Ephesians, I'm sorry, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. He says this, he says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, right? So in other words, this diversity, this unity in diversity was done to show off the glory of God, right? In this one household, this kind of unity and diversity is difficult. It's not easy, right? In fact, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Because it's supposed to look astonishing and supernatural. That kind of unity is supposed to look like that. The world is supposed to see that and say, those people are not supposed to be friends. That's what the world is supposed to say. Right? And so the church, a local church, a diverse local church centered around the gospel, right, testifies to the wisdom, power, And goodness of God. Do you understand that? Testifies to the witness, the, the wisdom, power, and goodness of God. And it bears the image of God in a way more profound than Israel ever could, than Adam and Eve ever could. Okay? And then if you look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. The Bible says this, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So we see all these different people singing one song praising their one risen Lord, right? So that unity and diversity matters because it, what it does, it shows off how wise, how good, and how kind our God is. That's the only reason this matters. It doesn't matter for any other reason, right? So, and it's integral to his plan, It is integral to his plan from beginning to end, from creation to consummation, for his people to show off the glory and the excellence of God. And it is love in a diverse local church that makes the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms marvel at the glory of God. That's why any of this matters. That's That's why any of this matters at all. Okay? So now I want you to think about something. When was the last time you felt annoyed or angry or hurt because another member of this church sinned against you or offended you in some kind of way? Okay? Would your experience of that situation have been different if you understood these ideas? If you understood that the reason why God wanted this diverse group of people together was to show off his glory, that was the whole point, right? If you thought like that, would that change the way that you handle conflict? No? Listen, yeah, let me help you. So, all the married people understand this. It is difficult sometimes to be married to somebody so very different than you. Right? And so our solution, what we think to, what we believe the solution to the problem is, is that if you would just be more like me, everything would be fine. Right? right. Right? right. But that, that's bad thinking. Right? Because the glory of marriage is that I have a very diverse spouse who compliments me, and what my job to, is to do is to glory and honor that difference and work hard to be unified together for the glory of God. Not just, how, not just so I can get what I want. Right? So when we are committed, the two of us are committed to this kind of unity, then what we try to do is we look at the, that diversity, the, the differences between us, in a very different way and work very hard to try to make those differences be strengths right and then i stop trying to flatten them out right i stop trying to make her be more like me and she stop trying to make me think more like her and we say okay how can we together use these differences for the glory of god right but you got to have that in the forefront of your mind walking in the door And so when those differences come up, instead of me getting irritated, I'm like, oh, no, wait. This is glorious. God did this. How can we use this for the glory of God? See what I'm saying? So when you think like that, it'll change. Some of those things that you get irritated by, some of them are not sin. Some of them is because you're just different. Right? Some of them is just because you're different. Right? So you need to be able to identify the difference between sin and your preferences, right, and your differences if you have in your mind that these differences are good and we're going to work as hard as possible to try to make them, use them as strengths to glorify God, when those differences crop up, they won't rub against you this way. Does that make sense to you? Okay? Okay. So, the Lord is the most beautiful, the most satisfying, and the most delightful being in all of, it, in all of existence, in all of the universe. Okay? And so, he's the source of the definition of all of these words. Okay? And so, the most loving thing that he can do, or the highest good that he can accomplish, is to reveal himself to us. That's the best thing. The best thing that God can do for us is to reveal himself to us. That make sense to you? There's nothing better than him. There's nothing more glorious than him. There's nothing better than knowing him. So the best thing that God can do for you is to reveal himself to you. Right? And so one of the ways that God does that is what we read in Ephesians. He does that through the glory of a diverse local church. That's one of the ways he reveals himself. The manifold wisdom of God is revealed through a diverse local church, right? Through churches like this church. So in particular, through our unity and diversity, it shows off this supernatural bond of commonality that we have in Christ, right? and the power of his gospel transforming our lives and that's the only reason any of this this talk about unity and diversity matters at all and that's why it should matter to us you had a question So, like, like sin each other and yeah, but that's not what we're talking about today. Yes, that's, a, that's correct. That's, that's the marriage seminar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any other questions? No, that is true, though, brother. Yes, yes, that's, that's true. Yeah, it's a sanctifying, but yeah, I don't want to. Anybody, no questions? Okay, so... Here's a reason. I'm on Roman numeral number three, if you're following along on the handout. So why we should care about unity and diversity, right? So our problem is, is that we often care about unity and diversity for, reason, for lesser reasons than God does. That's our problem. We care about these things, unity and diversity, for reasons different than God's. Okay, so, and that could be a real problem. So what I want to do is talk about this in a way that uh, helps us to understand we should be thinking about this, these subjects the way the Bible does, the way the Bible talks about it, not the way the world does and not in our own feelings, okay? Okay. So, what we're gonna do is, I'm gonna give you a few different reasons why people value diversity, and then I wanna tell you what's wrong with each one of these reasons, okay? And the consequences, what the consequences might be if we hold too close to these wrong reasons, okay? So, now I need some class participation, okay? (laughs) So, I'm gonna give you an insufficient reason. to value unity. Here's an insufficient reason, right? If you value unity because you think unity is going to give less conflict, that's an insufficient reason for valuing unity. Less conflict is an insufficient reason for valuing unity. So let me ask you, what can go wrong if your main motivation for unity is less conflict? No, 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 that's not the right answer. Yeah. That's right, that's one one thing that can go wrong. People will not point out your sin because they don't want to rock the boat. Because if the goal is less conflict, right, I'm running away from everything that's going to cause conflict. And one of those things is sanctification, right? One of those things is we know that in Judges chapter 6, when God told Gideon to go tear down the idol in his father's town, he had to do it at night because if he would have tried to do it in the daytime, they, they would have killed him, right? So when people come for your idols and help you to try to crush your idols, depending on how mature you are in the, in the Lord, you might try to cut my throat, right? So to his point, if your if only, or if your main motivation for unity is less conflict, then you won't help people put their sin to death because it's gonna be too difficult. That makes sense to you? Can you think of any other reasons? Any other reasons why this is an insufficient reason for unity? Why less conflict is an insufficient reason for unity? You want to say something? <laughs> okay. Yes, that's an excellent one. A watered-down gospel. I'm not going to say anything from the pulpit that's going to offend all the middle-aged 45-year-old soccer moms. Right. I'm going to stay away from all of that stuff because I don't want to create any conflict. That is an insufficient reason for unity. OK. Let's come. Yes, sir. It might be the same as, as Michael, so tell me if that's the case. But the more you're having conflict because of the differences, the more opportunities you have to display God's glory to Godliness, the people. Yes. Yeah, that's the same, yeah, that's that's right. Okay, so what's another insufficient reason, or I'm sorry, here's another insufficient reason to value diversity, right? So if we say we want people from every background to feel comfortable here, why is that an insufficient reason? Yes. That's right. Did you hear that? No. So if, you're, if your main goal is I want everybody to feel comfortable, right? Somebody's not going to sacrifice their preferences, right? Somebody's not going to sacrifice your preference, their preferences, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a church that all look the same. Everybody look exactly the same. Right? Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, so we don't want to focus on our own selves. Yeah, that's preferences, right? So diversity, right, makes the church look good to outsiders. But the temptation will be to try to manufacture it on our own. To manufacture a false unity, yes sir. I was gonna say uh you may be like changing the actual message of the gospel. Yes, that's what that's what Sheila said. Yeah, you change the message of the gospel to accommodate people. Sadly, there's been something going around that says that God is love, therefore there must always be unity, and you must be tolerant of everything. Right. So this is yeah, this is the same point again. So you're going to, if your main goal is less conflict, unity, 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 for the sake of unity, you, you will not preach and teach the Bible in any way that's going to rub people the wrong way, right? But one of the works of the Holy Spirit is, in John 17, is to convict you of sin. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it's not that the pastor is being mean to you. Sometimes that's the Spirit of the Lord, right? Pulling all of that ugly dross out of your heart, and you don't like the way it feels, right? So those are insufficient reasons for unity. And these things can lead us to value comfort more than we value Christ. The Lord never promised us comfort, right? Right? So the one thing that you'll see here is the differences between what I want to try to get across is the difference between manufactured human unity and diversity versus gospel unity and diversity. So the the grand purpose of God for the local church only works when our unity and diversity are obviously not the result of our hard work. In our abilities people should be surprised to see us people without very much in common caring deeply for one another okay we have to have we have to be in in a position that we have very little to gain by loving one another this way that makes sense to you Let me explain it like this. If the unity that people see is manufactured by man, right, they might like it, but it's only like an inch deep. But unity, gospel unity, right, it needs to be in such a way that I have very little to gain by loving somebody that's very different than me. You understand what I'm saying? I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord, not because I'm gaining something, not because I'm gaining some kind of popularity from the world, not because the world is looking at me and going, oh, Corey's just a great guy. No, I'm doing it for the glory of God, even if it hurts me, even if I gotta sacrifice some things and give up some things and suppress some of my own preferences and I gain nothing from it and I'm doing it solely for the glory of God. When it's that kind of unity in diversity, that's when people look at that and go, that's different. That's not like the world. Right? So here's, so let me, oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna, so the goal of our unity and diversity is to point to the reality and the power of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we'll, we'll get into this more next week, but it's important to, to, uh, like I said, I need to say straight up, we're not just interested in unity and diversity for the sake of it, okay? It has to be God-glorifying unity and diversity, okay? So point number four on your handout is, so the kind of unity and diversity that matters or what kind of unity of diversity matters. So I haven't defined it yet. I did that on purpose because I wanted to walk you through the scriptures. But here's the definition that I'm going to be using here. Unity is the kind, wait, where's my handout? Ah, oh, I didn't put it on here. I wrote it down specifically so I wouldn't say something crazy. Let me see it. Yes. Yeah, unity, when we value our shared bond in Christ more than anything that might divide us. That's how I'm defining unity. Okay? So when we, typically when we talk about unity in the church, okay, it's usually talking about organizational unity. Okay? So people will say if, they'll talk about like how many different denominations it is. And how, you know, Christians got all these denominations and all the stuff. If Christians could agree to work together, more people will come to Jesus. Whatever. I'm, I, I'm not concerned with that. Okay? We need to care very deeply about unity between churches, but we don't want to focus on like, this organizational type of unity because the unity that we see in the New Testament between true Christians who believe the gospel is typically talking about local churches. It is very easy for me to be unified with somebody that lives in another state. I don't have to see you. I don't have to deal with your idiosyncrasies and, and your foolishness. You'll never offend me. And if you do, I'll just get off the phone. (laughs) Right? But when I'm here every Sunday and every Wednesday and every church workday rubbing shoulders with you and you start talking stupid, and I got to deal with that, right? And I have to suppress all of that and be kind to you and love you that takes the holy spirit to do that right that's the holy spirit that, that that's the kind of unity the bible is talking about in 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 ephesians it's local church unity not necessarily universal church unity that's important but it's not as important as this right So let me say this real quick. So we need to keep in mind, oh, I wanted to do this. We're going to do this next week. So listen, we're going to stop here because I'm going to come back. We We need to talk about this next part. So listen, we need to understand something. So when we talk about unity, you have to get out of your head, right, ethnicity. Okay, you need to take that thought and abominate it. Because what the Bible is talking about, the kind of unity that the Bible is talking about is far beyond just that concept, okay? So if I look across the church and I see people with different shades of melanin, right? And then I say, oh, we have a, we have a diverse church. Maybe, maybe, because we could all think the same. We could all have the same political affiliation. We can all believe the same thing, listen to the same music, went to the same school. And it's very easy for those people to get along together. Right? It's very easy. Why? Because you're not going to say nothing that I don't agree with. You're not going to say nothing that I don't believe. But when you put a group of people together that come from different places, believe different things, have different social mores, and you put that all together and you mix it up, That's a bomb waiting to go off, if they don't know Jesus, right? If they don't know Jesus. So we need to be in a position to where the unity that we have is based on far more than just us believing all the same thing, right? It's real easy to put a bunch of Republicans in a room together. We're going to all get along. Drop a Democrat in there, you got a fist fight about to happen, right? And that's that's not biblical unity. That's not biblical unity, right? So here, you're going to know this. I'm going to say this. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble. So just because you look around this church and you see, or when you look around this church and you see all these different diverse people, right, there's going to always be a dominant culture, right? there's going to be some dominant culture in every church that you go to, okay? If I take you to a church on Lake Mead and MLK, I guarantee you everybody in there is probably not going to look like you, and the music and the preaching is going to be very different. Now, if Jesus is being exalted, and that's the only option that you have, you should go, right? If you walk out of that church and say, this music is not the kind of music that I like, Culturally, I'm out of place. Let me go somewhere where I'm more comfortable culturally and politically, even though they don't preach the gospel the same way. That's from Satan. That is from Satan. So, your number one aim should be is the gospel being preached? Is Christ being exalted? And everything else after that is secondary. You just got to put your big girl pants on and grow up. Right. Okay, because everybody in here to some degree is suppressing some preference that they have. Right? I guarantee if we talk to all of the people from the Spanish group, you don't know how much work they have to do to be here with you. You don't understand. You do not understand. So somebody from venezuela walks in here and they see and they go oh i I, this is not my type of situation the wrong response would be to say well you just need to grow up and get out of here no 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 what you need to do is you need to look to your brothers and sisters over here and say glory be to god and then you need to ask why are you still here what is god doing in that man's or woman's heart to make you to be able to overlook all of this. And when they ask you. And they start pointing to the Savior. You need to glorify God. Okay. You need to glorify God. See because there's a dominant culture in this church. And some of us are part of the majority group. And don't have to deal with this. And so what you do. Is you say. Well all of the rest of y'all just need to grow up. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're diminishing the glory of what God is doing in your other brothers and sisters who voluntarily, for the glory of God, suppress their preferences to deal with you. You understand that? That's glorious. That's gospel unity. That's gospel unity. When I first started coming to the church, I didn't, what is it? I, I had to ask Pastor John Preller, Dr. Preller. Can you please explain to me what is a charm and why would I want 10,000 of them? I don't understand this hymn at all. Help me. So my impulse, if I would have not loved you and not loved Christ, would have been like, I'm going to go somewhere where I can understand the music. Nope. But I love Sheila and Lucretia and everybody else over here but more than that, I love Jesus, right? And so in Philippians, when Paul says, he talks about whether or not he should stay. He said, it's better for me to go die and be with Christ. I'm paraphrasing, go die and be with Christ. But for your sake, I'm gonna stay here. For your sake, I'm gonna stay here, right? Why would I suppress what feels better for me and what's going to be better for me? jesus the glory of christ right it is far too easy for us to love people that think look behave sing like us that's far too easy i don't even want to deal with that it don't take jesus for that it take jesus for me to deal with christian von schmidt i'm not picking on you christian you just got thick skin right do you understand It takes Jesus for that. And that's what the world, that's the kind of unity that the world needs to see. Because we can fabricate unity around our political affiliations and our favorite basketball teams and the fact that we're married and all these other things, but none of that means nothing. That does not reflect the glory of God. What reflects the glory of God is when you rub me the wrong way, and because of the grace and the mercy that I received in Jesus, I forgive you. And i walk with you in love and kindness and just ed- educate you a little bit. That make sense to you? So that's the kind of diversity that we should be looking for. That's going to be trying to lay out in the rest of these six weeks. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Any questions? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us, Lord, to think about these things rightly. To love our brothers and sisters in the Lord with the love of Christ and to do all these things for your glory, O Lord. It's in the holy name of Christ we pray. Amen.